As we reflect this morning on uh, the sacrifice of so many men and women this Memorial Day weekend, uh, we are actually just a few days away from the 75th anniversary of D-Day. It was 75 years ago that the Allies were preparing for the largest amphibious assault in human history, with the goal being nothing less than, uh, than ridding the world of the tyranny of fascism. And on that day, tens of thousands of soldiers gave their last full measure of devotion in pursuit of that goal. After Pearl Harbor, the United States said that tyranny and aggression would not stand. But it wasn't enough to simply declare freedom for oppressed peoples. Freedom would have to be brought to conquered nations by men and women brave enough and selfless enough to do it. The struggle was desperate and costly, but in the end, the Allies prevailed. And because they did, we are able today to recognize and thank the millions of men and women who protect our freedoms and safeguard us from all sorts of things. And so this morning, if you are a member of the military or if you are a first responder, would you please stand? We would like to recognize you and thank you for your um, sacrifice and your commitment to our freedoms and our safeties. Thank you. My name is Richard Rock, and I serve as one of the elders here at Central Christian Church. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if, you, if you are here for the first time this morning, we're so glad that you've chosen to join us. And Central is a place where you can find and follow Jesus along with many others. And if you're looking for a church home, we hope that you will consider uh, Central to be a place that uh, you can make your home at. Uh, in a moment, we're going to open God's Word and study some of the verses that Nina read. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful for the sacrifice of men and women who have made it possible for us to be here this morning, to worship you openly, to study your Word, to sing songs to you, Lord. And it is not lost on us that this is a freedom that we shouldn't take for granted. And Lord, we also, it's just such a great reminder uh, to us that you have sacrificed much so that we can have an eternal freedom in you. And so Lord, this morning, um, I just ask that as we open up your word, that you would do what only you can do. That Lord, if there are people here who do not yet know you, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear your words and that you would be glorified this morning in all that we do. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Tim and his family are uh, on vacation this morning. I think they're back in Missouri on a family vacation. And if I know them, they're probably streaming the service this morning, along with many other people who regularly log in online, uh, including my mother-in-law, who often logs in from Billings, Montana. So hello to Betsy and to everybody that's joining us online this morning. When Pastor Tim asked if I could preach this morning, he told me that we would be in between sermon series and that I could preach on anything that God was laying on my heart during my quiet time. So I'm really excited to be up here. Uh, look out, there's a blind man in charge of the sermon series agenda. Um, but if you come back next week, uh, as was mentioned earlier, we're going to be starting the new series called Summer at Central, and we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, which is the wisdom book, and I think it will be a series that you will really enjoy because we could all use a little more wisdom, right? 
That's right. But this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 in particular, and what God has been teaching me. And there's been a couple of questions that I've been wrestling with as I've been looking at this verse. Uh, Specifically, what is the role that I have in um, how other people receive God's grace? And what is the role that I have in how other people experience the blessings that come from a relationship with Jesus Christ? So as we get started, let's start by just getting the verse back in our ears. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now to be honest, when I first read this verse, I wasn't quite sure what it meant. But in all the years that I've been reading the Bible, what I've learned is that when God highlights something to me that I don't understand, I'm blessed when I take time to really... Uh, study that verse and try and understand what it is that God's saying. And as I began to study Hebrews 12, 15, I was kind of surprised because what it sounded like to me was that somehow I had a responsibility, at least in part, for whether or not other people were going to receive God's grace. And I wasn't sure if I was reading this right because I can't even get our dog Samson to come back in the front door when he sneaks out, right? So how can I possibly have any role in whether or not other people are receiving God's grace? But to me, the communal tone of this verse seemed unmistakable. And it reminded me that, you know, even though our faith is a deeply personal decision, it is not something that we're intended to live out on our own. And this was brought home a week ago Tuesday when Courtney Flanagan was being baptized. And as Kayla prepared to baptize Courtney and she asked a number of questions about Courtney's decision to follow Jesus, Kayla turned to those of us in the congregation who had gathered to witness and to celebrate this big decision. And she said, do you also commit to come alongside Courtney in her decision to follow Jesus? And of course we said yes. And I thought, what a beautiful illustration of the fact that In many ways, our faith is intended to be a community project. Arthur Pink, in his commentary on the book of Hebrews, writes that the first three words of this verse, see to it, in the Greek, are actually an imperative command that points to the duty that we have to one another, the oversight responsibility that we have, the jealous care that we're supposed to exercise toward making sure that other people actually receive the grace of God. But what does this mean And how can I have anything to do with it? Let's start with what this can't mean. What this can't mean is that we, either individually or collectively, have any ability to grant or withhold God's grace from others. And that's because God's grace is defined as his unmerited favor. It is a free gift that comes from God. It's not ours to grant or withhold. And God's grace has two primary forms. There is his saving grace... And then there is his empowering grace. Now, the saving grace of God is the grace that God makes available to all sinners. And the Bible tells us that we've all sinned, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. What does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? In Romans, that, that's in Romans 3. And we fall short of the glory of God when we, in our attitudes or our actions, are less than perfect. And not just less than perfect by our own standards, which we often fall short of, right? But less than God's perfect standards. So do we have any imperfect people in here this morning? 
A couple? Okay, well, this message is for us then. Um, but, you know, we can't compare to God. Uh, because we are imperfect, we can't compare to a perfect God. And no matter how insignificant we think our imperfections are, the Bible tells us that they actually create an enormous gap. The song we sang a moment ago said, a chasm. Um, this enormous gap between us and God that is actually so large that it prevents us from remaining in God's presence. And when we're not in God's presence, that separation is called death. And death happens slowly in our physical bodies, but it happens immediately in our spiritual bodies. But you know, God didn't want us to be separated from him or to experience death. And so he created a way for us to be reconciled to him. He sent his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And we see Jesus um, in John 3.16, the verse that Gary just read a moment ago, um, This is probably the most recognized verse in the entire Bible when Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the Bible tells us that if we want to be saved from our sins, all we have to do is acknowledge what Jesus has done and choose to follow him. And when we do this, we get credit for the perfect life that God lived, that Jesus lived. Now, Getting credit for something you didn't do is called grace. And getting to live with Jesus forever when we don't deserve it is called amazing grace. And Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that it is only by amazing grace that we can be saved. There's no way for us to close that gap or that chasm between us and God because we can't make something that is imperfect perfect again. Only God can do that. There's no amount of good works or good deeds or good intentions or effort that we can expend to earn our way back into the presence of God. And this is what the lyrics in the song Reckless Love say when it says, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, yet still he gave himself away. So while we deserved separation because we fell short of the glory of God, We don't have to remain separated as long as we don't also fall short of God's grace. Now, telling people about God's grace is the primary mission of the church. In fact, it is so important that Jesus taught, it was one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples to do when he was here on earth. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we've been commanded to share the good news that Jesus was able to accomplish what we couldn't. And when we do that, we are literally helping other people not fall short of the saving grace of God. Pastor Tim talks frequently about how right here in the Silicon Valley, in fact, I think the number is 1.7 million people right here in Santa Clara County don't know who Jesus is. They don't have that, um, that saving grace yet in their lives. And that means that there are 1.7 million people who are headed to a Christless eternity. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, My question for you is, do you know any of those 1.7 million people here in this county? As you sit here, do you see the face in front of your eyes, 
that God is laying on your heart of somebody who needs to know God's saving grace. Maybe it's somebody that you work with or work out with, that you go to school with, you play sports with. Maybe it's somebody you see in your neighborhood or your apartment complex or even your own home. And the question is, what are we willing to do to make sure that that person does not fall short of the saving grace of God? Or maybe this morning, you have come into this room and you haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus, but you're ready to make that sort of decision, that life-changing decision. We're going to make sure that you have that opportunity before you leave today. So the first form of God's grace is the saving grace that he extends to everyone. But there's a second form of God's grace, which um, is only available to followers of Jesus. Now, this grace is the incredible power of God working in us and through us. This is the grace that um, enables us to hear God's voice, to overcome sin and selfishness, addictions, temptations. It teaches us how to love more and more. And we need this empowering grace to follow Jesus well and to fulfill our purpose. You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, just right after Paul writes that we've all been saved by God's amazing grace, he goes on to say that we've all been saved for a purpose, for good works. And this is good news because it means that every single person in this room has a purpose-filled life. But we can't accomplish the purpose that God has placed on your life without the empowering grace of God at work in our lives. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us that we serve an amazing God who has all power. He is able to do so much. In fact, it says he's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, including helping us to fulfill our purpose and accomplish the works that he has designated specifically for you to do. But there's a catch. And the catch is that God will only work through us as much as we allow him to work in us. You see, God wants your willing partnership. He wants you to make yourself more and more available for him to work in you and through you. And learning how to make yourself more and more available to God is called discipleship. And we heard Jesus talk about this just a moment ago in the Matthew uh, chapter 28 verse, where Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And then Jesus gives us the two-step process for making disciples. Baptize them and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. We learn to follow Jesus well when we learn how to listen and to obey what Jesus is asking us to do. And this process of discipleship, following Jesus well, is designed to happen best in a community of believers. It's in a community of believers that we can be taught what uh, God's word says, that we can be encouraged to push through challenges, that we can be corrected when we get a little bit off course. And actually, this is the whole reason that God gave us the church, so that we could have a community of believers to live and learn with. But here's the thing. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building or an institution or a place or an ideology. We're talking about people. We're talking about you and me. We are the church. And when the church meets together, when we meet in a room like this in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us that we're supposed to come together and look for ways that we can spur each other on to love and good deeds. That we're supposed to look for those things that we can do to encourage one another. 
And the way that you will encourage the church is different than the way that I'll encourage the church. We each have different skills and experiences and gifts that we bring to this body of believers. And if you're not bringing your gifts to this church, then we all miss out. And in the Bible, in 1 Peter 4.10, this is actually considered to be a matter of stewardship for you. How you use your gifts. It says in uh, 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. And do you see that connection between your gifts and God's grace? Like, your gifts are a form of grace for other people to benefit from. Now, I know in our society here in the Bay Area, this is a tall order. I am a husband and a father. I have a full-time job. I know how busy and crazy this world is. We are over-committed, over-calendared, over uh, uh over busy in so many ways, overwhelming. And, um, and yet, what I've learned is that we don't actually do these things by accident. Nobody wakes up in the morning and saying, oops, I found myself serving, right? It's, a, it's an intentional choice. And let me give you some hope and some encouragement because 15 years ago, Michelle and I were preparing to be married and um, I was a deeply introverted person. I'm still pretty introverted. But I used to joke with Michelle that I didn't even like people. And, um, and as I started learning about what God wanted to do in the church and how he wanted me to, to use me in that, I realized that, that God wanted more for me and from me in the church. And I wasn't sure I wanted that. Um, I wasn't too excited about it. But I kind of had a sense that that was probably important. And so the best prayer I could come up with, for God, with God was... I don't think I want this, but I think I want to want it, right? And God is so gracious. He is so um, patient and gentle. And he was able to take that little tiny acorn of desire and he was able to grow it. And he was able to change my perspective and give me a new heart and a new way of thinking about people and interacting and new skills to the point where I just um, have been filled up with a love from God for all of you and for others. And not perfectly, but so much more than I had 15 years ago. And do you know who the most amazed person in the whole world is about this? Did someone say Michelle? Uh, no, um, me. I, I, it is exhilarating. I love to see how God has, uh, to be able to look back 15 years and to see um, how God has changed me and how he wants to use me. And um, I want that same sense of exhilaration for you in your relationship with God to be able to see how he can change and use you in new and different ways. Right, Because everybody in this body needs to be encouraged in so many different ways. And so my question for you today is, are you open to being used in new ways by God? Can you have just that small sense uh, or that small offering of desire that God can work with? And as you are sitting here this morning... And you think about the brothers and sisters in this church. Do you know anybody who needs to be encouraged? I've seen many of you in this church act on those nudges by God to encourage others. But as you think about this morning, do you know of a marriage that needs to be spoken into? 
Do you know someone that is struggling with health issues or um, parents that are exhausted or um, children who are dealing with aging parents, somebody who is at an inflection point in their life? Maybe it's about education or their career or somebody who's struggling in their job or they're wrestling with their faith or maybe it's somebody who you just haven't seen in a while and you don't know why. Do you see the face of somebody that God might be placing on your heart this morning who needs to be encouraged? What can you do about that? And as you encourage them, you are literally helping that person not fall short of the empowering grace of God that, they, that God intends for them. Now, so far this morning, I have spoken mostly about the communal aspects of Hebrews 12.15. And I started there because when I first read this verse, that's what I noticed first. And hopefully this morning you are seeing some ways that um, we actually are called to help make sure that those around us are receiving God's grace. And you see that God gave us the church to help us in that effort. But I think it's fair to say that if you were to open up most commentaries, um, most of the time they begin with the personal application of Hebrews 12.15. The idea that we should each make sure that we ourselves do not fall short of the grace of God. Charles Spurgeon, in his writing on Hebrews chapter 12, says that in the church of God, we should all be on our watch tower looking out for ourselves and for one another because the first person who's likely to fail is myself. And so I think this is a great place to start uh, is the personal application because really, how can I help somebody else find God's grace if I haven't first found it myself, right? But as followers of Jesus, uh, we are secure in the saving grace that God has provided us, but each and every morning we need to continue to pursue and seek and ask for God's empowering grace. And so the question is, how do you do that? And, of course, the Bible is filled with all sorts of um, wisdom and uh, um, God speaking to us about how he wants to bless us and, and um, how he wants us to interact with him. But specifically, I want to look at the verse that comes right before our primary verse today. Um, and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And in this verse, we're given two keys to unlocking God's empowering grace in the life of every believer. And this verse tells us that there are two things we should be seeking. One is we should pursue peace with all people. And two, that we should seek to live holy lives. So let's take a brief look at these two keys that uh, the author of Hebrews offers up here. First, um, pursuing peace with all people. You know, I think in many ways, this is actually really clear. In fact, in some ways, this is probably clearer than we would like it to be. Because let's be, uh, you know, speaking for myself, sometimes it's easier to be, uh, to talk about being at peace with people than to actually pursue it, to do the hard work. And for me, the challenge that I have in this verse is rarely the open hostility or a violence that you might think of as being contrary to peace, but it's the other ways that I sin in this area of not being obedient to what God is calling me to do. Um, sometimes it is um, appearing to be at peace on the, on the outside when I know the turmoil that I'm feeling on the inside. Sometimes it is the sin of using um, physical or emotional distance to um, cover up the fact that I'm not at peace with someone. Sometimes it's more blatant. Sometimes I just don't want to pursue peace with somebody. That I find it easier 
to let time pass. And in letting time pass, just let the hurts grow a little less um, noticeable. But you know, none of these attitudes are in accord with God's word. And when we think about Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul said, our God is powerful. He is able to do um, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. But then we remember that he's able to do that according to the power that is at work within me. And God's power is going to be limited by how available and obedient I'm going to be to God. And so when I'm not pursuing peace with someone, I am limiting God's power that can be at work in me and through me. I'm giving up God's blessings in some very real ways. And this is an area that God continues to work on in my life. And maybe it's an area where God is continuing to work in your life as well. The second key that we see here in Hebrews 12, 14 is the idea of being holy. Now, holiness is one of those churchy words that it's super easy to just check out, right? Um, But if you look at the definition of what does holy mean, it really just means to be dedicated, And if you're in a dedicated dating relationship, that means that you agree to only date that one other person. If you have a dedicated phone line, it means that that phone is available only for you to use. And when you are dedicated to God, it means that you are saying, God, I am available only for you to use, right? And this is really what discipleship is all about, learning to be more and more available, learning to be more and more available. And when we do that, we follow Jesus well, we experience his power in our lives, and we, um, we're blessed through it. And when we aren't available or when we're, we're not obedient to what God is asking us to do, it is a demonstration of the fact that we still have steps to go in terms of our discipleship, in terms of learning how to follow Jesus well. The, um, but as we learn how to, to follow Jesus well, uh, this is something that we're supposed to do in community. And, um, and Jesus wants us to learn how to follow him well in community because Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, that he came to earth so that we can have life and have it to the full. Did you know that that's God's desire for you is that you can experience a full, rich, joy filled life. And the things that we read um, and the reason we practice being available and obedient to God um, is because we learn that those are the ways that God, who knows best, wants to be able to bless us in our lives. He knows what is best for us, and he knows that when we follow his way, which is best because he is perfect and he is all-knowing, that that is when we're going to be blessed. And I think this is what Jesus meant in John 13, 17, when he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know that through your obedience and your availability, God's power will flow in you and through you. It will help you to pursue the purpose and to accomplish the good works that God placed in your life. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And learning how to do that well happens best in community. It is the absolute safest place to be. Because when we try to do this on our own, and we're not in community, and we're not being encouraged, that's when we become discouraged. 
That's when bitterness and all sorts of trouble can grow up in our lives. And God doesn't want that for you. The safest place to be is to be in community. In fact, um, we've probably all seen the video of the poor little gazelle out on the Serengeti, right? Who gets separated from the herd, and what happens? He falls prey to the lion, right? And if you've been coming to church for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard the analogies to that's what it's like to, to, try, to, be, to try to be a Christian on your own. That if you're not in community, you're separated, and um, you're likely to fall prey to um, the cares of this world. And I think this is such a great example because in 1 Peter uh, 5, 8, it tells us that we have a real enemy. It says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And do you know who, the, who almost always gets devoured first? It's the poor little gazelle that separates himself from the congregation, right? <laughs> the safest place in the whole world is to be right in the middle of the herd, right in the middle of the congregation. And I think this, it's no coincidence that this is why Peter wrote this um, warning against the devil prowling around like a roaring lion just a couple of verses after he encourages us to be humble, not proud, to submit to one another in a community of believers because he knows that's where it's safest. And here's the amazing thing is that when we are in the middle of a community of believers, that is when we are most likely to recognize how other people need to be encouraged, how they need to be spurred on to love and good deeds. That's when we're most likely to see how the gifts that God has given you can be used in this community of believers. When you are safest, you are also most likely to best fulfill the communal aspects of Hebrews 12, 15. Now, as we prepare to close today, I just want to look at one or two more verses. And um, the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, writes that he rejoices in his personal sufferings, and he fills up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, this is, I think, to the ears of many Christians, an unusual verse because we know that Jesus' death on the cross was perfect and complete. 1 Peter uh, 3.18 tells us that Christ died once for all to bring us to God. That tells us that Christ's death on the cross was perfectly sufficient to close that gap that has been separating us from God. And in this regard, there is absolutely nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions. So what does Paul mean when he writes this in Colossians? I think this is what he's telling us. He's saying that um, even though Christ's work on the cross was perfectly complete, that... Um, until the good news is brought to somebody who needs to hear it, until the work that Jesus did on the cross is presented to somebody who needs to hear that good news, there is something lacking in the whole process of salvation. And what Paul says is that I am willing to sacrifice so that others can hear this good news, so that others can recognize that Jesus died so that they can have true freedom. After Pearl Harbor, the United States 
declared that tyranny and aggression would not stand. But it wasn't enough to simply declare freedom for oppressed peoples. Freedom would have to be brought to conquered nations by men and women brave enough and selfless enough to do it. On the cross, God declared complete victory over sin and death. Jesus paid the price so that we could have eternal freedom in him. Now it is our job to bring that good news to others, to fill up what is lacking in the presentation of the gospel to others. And as we do that, we fulfill this verse in Hebrews 12, 15 that tells us to make sure that others are not falling short of the grace of God. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? And I want to ask you some questions um, just for some response. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the first couple of words in Hebrews 12, 15 say, see to it. And I want to ask you what you see this morning. And I want to start by asking, do you see the face of any of those 1.7 million people who don't yet know Jesus this morning? If you do, if you see that face in your mind, would you just raise your hand real quick? Jesus tells us in John 13, 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I would just ask that you would ask God, what do I need to do? I asked you this morning, if you see in your mind's eye, anybody in this congregation, any brother or sister that needs to be encouraged, maybe it's today or sometime this week or sometime soon. If you know in your mind's eye, that there's somebody that God is putting on your heart to encourage. Maybe he's giving you a nudge of exactly what to do. Would you just raise your hand? Jesus said, you will be blessed. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. As we think about the personal application of Hebrews 12, 15, are there areas of your life where you need to seek peace with people? Is there an area of your life where God's calling you to a greater level of obedience or availability? Is he nudging you right now with what that next step in your life is? If you know you're hearing something from God this morning, would you just lift your hand for a moment? Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Or maybe this morning you have never chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe you've considered it. Maybe you've never heard of it before. But you know that that gap that prevents you from being with God is something that you want to deal with. And you want to grab on to that saving grace. If that's you this morning, with everyone's eyes closed, would you just raise your hand? And as you do that, you can just pray this simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that Jesus did what I couldn't do. And I choose to follow him. It's that simple. Now, not only were everyone else's eyes closed, but I can't see you. And so if, if you made that declaration this morning, that prayer, I want to ask you to come down and share that with me. And we want to get you on a path to discipleship, learning how to follow Jesus well, being baptized. So that you can enjoy the full set of blessings 
that God has in mind for your life. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you have done in our lives. Lord, thank you for being so gracious. Lord, thank you for being patient and gentle. Lord, thank you for recognizing that we were separated from you and not leaving us there, creating a plan, sending your son to die, to live the the life that we couldn't live and to die in our place so that we could be reconciled with you. And Lord, thank you for placing a purpose and a reason in each life here this morning, but then not leaving us to our own devices to figure it out on our own, Lord, that you want to come alongside us. You want to work in us and through us and empower us to achieve those purposes. And you tell us how to do it. Lord, we love you. Lord, we ask you that, we ask that you might give us courage to speak to those who don't yet know you. Lord, we ask that you would just create space in our busy calendars to encourage those brothers and sisters that are in this congregation and to live out this life of helping others not fall short of your glorious grace, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.